Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Download more sermons or learn about the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene at our website, capenazarene.org. Here's this week's message. We are in the Gospel of Mark, uh, talking about the story of Jesus and what this means for us. I want to start uh, reading from uh, verse 12, uh, pick up where we left off last week. Uh, So verse 12 of chapter 1. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And as he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Or, uh, last week, we, as we began the Gospel of Mark, we saw that John was preparing the way. He was telling people, Jesus is coming and uh, I want you to get ready for he is on his way. Excuse me. And he says to them, he says, uh, I want you to get ready. God is coming. And his good news was, with God coming, you can repent You can believe this is how you are going to get ready for the Lord's arrival. I think when we hear of good news, we think, what do we mean by when we say good news? What is the good news? And I think the the crux of the good news that John initially tells us is this. God is on his way. Let's make sure the path is straight for him to come. For all of our searching after our God, for all of our wondering, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Uh, Will God be happy with me? John says, you have been trying so hard to get to God, but what if I told you God's trying to get to you? And all you have to do is just open the way for God to come and do something new in your life. That's the good news, that God has said, I care and love about you enough, I'm on the way. And that's going to be embodied in Jesus. And John says, I'm not even good enough to untie his sandals. And now we get to the, and then Jesus is baptized by John. And it's a way of seeing, for us to see indeed that Jesus, the embodiment of God, but also the fulfillment of what it means to live faithfully to God. He shows us that we can indeed live faithfully to God. And Jesus, by by entering into this baptism, is entering into our side of the covenant and saying, yes, we can live faithfully to the God who wants to be with us. And now we're going to find out what does this mean for Jesus? What does this mean for us? And it says immediately that the Holy Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. Jesus has just been affirmed as the son whom God loves at the baptism, and immediately now Satan appears on the field. 
Like, things have just looked great. God has, you know, the, the heavens have split. God has said, this is my son whom I love. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove on him. And immediately, right after that, Satan's going to enter the picture and tempt him. It reminds me of words that were said to me uh, very early on in my Christian walk, which was, after you've had a moment where you feel like God has really spoken to you, after you've had a moment where it seems like your eyes have been opened to God's will or God's plan or God's purpose for you or that, that, or that God loves you, do not be surprised if Satan enters the picture, if there is temptation or trial that comes along afterwards. This is the story of what happens in Jesus as well. And so whenever we have a moment that says, okay, God has revealed himself in a way I believe or, or I have an idea of what God wants for me, just because there will be other voices that come along the way, just because there might be other trials or temptations that come does not diminish that work. It does not take away from it. But... It often becomes a moment of temptation. It often becomes a moment of doubt, a moment of questioning, because that is the nature of Satan's work. In this story, Satan is tempting Jesus and doing everything he can to get Jesus off of the mission that God has for him. And this scene kind of reminds me of the story of Job. The opening scene of the story of Job is this. God has said, is there anyone else in the world that is as righteous as this man? Surely he is a, a, a wonderful, wonderful servant. He is a wonderful follower. He believes and he is just the most righteous man in all the world. And Satan enters the picture and it says, Oh, well, you know, the reason he's righteous is because he's got everything going for him. And you take away all that wealth and you take away all, all the things he's earned and all the things that uh, he's accomplished. Well, then, you know, he's going to doubt just like everybody else. And, and, and the crux of that story is that his righteousness is not based on his success. His righteousness comes from what he knows and loves about the God who has been with him through it all. And I can't help but think that the temptation of Jesus just been declared, here is the Son of God. It might be easy for us to look at Jesus and say, well, the reason why he lives his life the way he does, the reason why he's able to follow God so clearly is because he's the Son of God. The reason why he's able to do this is because he's got this special relationship with God. It's the same argument that Satan made with Job. He's got, a, you know, he's got everything going for him. Of course he lives faithfully. And I think if the temptation of Jesus tells us anything, is that Jesus fully embodies what it means for us to be human. Jesus knows temptation. Jesus knows struggle. Jesus knows sickness and illness. And Jesus knows doubts. And Jesus knows worries. And Jesus knows, what am I going to do? He knows competing calls for his attention. He knows all the kinds of things and stresses that we face in our world. Those temptations and those trials that come our way are His as well. And so as we go through the story of Jesus and see His faithfulness, we will see that it is a faithfulness that calls and beckons to us all. That we are all called to live forward toward the faithfulness that Jesus has exhibited. In this scene... It says the Spirit of God 
has thrown him out into the wilderness. Uh, some of the other Gospels say, oh, he's led into the wilderness. And a lot of times we'll have some translations just say, oh, he's led into the wilderness. But uh, it literally, me, I think NRSV, what I read, says it drove him out in. The word is literally throw out. Throw out. Uh, the, the word is ekbalo. I remember this word because it was easy when I was learning Greek to remember that throw is balo because, well, I grew up throwing a ball. And so it just makes sense for me. Like it was an easy kind of connection. And it's like he's thrown out into the wilderness. Hey, he's the son of God. Now here you go. Have you ever felt yourself thrown into a situation? <laughs> uh, you get a new job. They don't train you very well. Here you go. You're growing up and an older sibling stands behind you at the lake. There you go. <laughs> you know, you're just thrown into the situation. You figure it out, sink or swim. And so in this way, it's, it's kind of the same way. Here he is. He's the son of God. He's just been baptized. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go into God's ministry. And immediately there's hardship. Immediately there's trial and there's temptation. And I think sometimes in the walk of faith, we get surprised by that as well. Whether it's our first uh, when we first become a Christian, or we've been following Christ for a long time, or we've had a moment, a eureka moment, where we're like, yes, this is what God wants me to do, or there's been a great celebration, God used me in a wonderful way in this person's life, I'm so excited, and then the next day, things just crash. And you're like, oh, what was all that? What do we do now? And it seems like we've just been kind of thrown into the wilderness. This is a part of the ministry of Jesus as well. He knows what that is like. That wilderness filled with temptation, filled with the danger of wild beasts. But yet, despite that, God has not left him. He is still attended by the very angels of God. The presence of God is still there and the Holy Spirit that threw him there. In fact, there's a, there's a line that my DS has used among us pastors a few times. He says, sometimes I think it's good to get into holy trouble, <laughs> to be about ministry, even if it ruffles a few feathers, to, to be about God's will, even if, okay, I don't know who's going to respond to this, but this is, I, I'm going to speak the truth about God wants me to do, and if it gets me into holy trouble, so be it. When the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit throws him in there, and the, the angels, which are messengers of the Father, are attending to him. They're saying, God, when God sends us into a difficult situation, he's there with us. When I think of the difficult situations God's people have been sent into before, uh, immediately my mind goes to missionaries. Missionaries who have told me stories about how difficult it is to serve in a country uh, where the government has turned against them or, or where it's just difficult to, to breach cultural differences as well. God sends them there, and it's difficult, and there's trials along the way, but yet God is with them. When someone stands up against injustice and says, no, there's something wrong going on in our community, there's something wrong going on right now, and, and we need to do what we can to help make things right. Of course, if there was injustice, people have gotten accustomed to it, and people are going to fight back against that. But God is with them in standing up. If we find ourselves in a spot where we recognize that there needs to be forgiveness, maybe we've wronged somebody or they've wronged us, and we're like, oh man, we need to make something right. I can't continue on like this. The, the hurt they've caused me or the hurt I know I've caused them, it's driving a wedge in our relationship and it's just making it really hard to be, do anything about God together or from, or, and it's hurt my witness. What are we to do when we seek forgiveness? There is nothing more 
kind of like unsettling than saying to somebody, man, I'm so sorry for what I did. Or even saying to somebody, you know that one time when it hurt, is there a way that we can kind of work through that issue together? That is hard. That is unsettling work. But God is with us through those wilderness times. If I can, I'll make a little aside. Uh, one of the things I like to uh, live by in, every, uh, uh, in this church, every church I've pastored, what I, what I encourage uh, other pastors to do is I said, I like, I like us to live by Matthew 18 principles. Matthew 18 is this passage that Jesus, I know, I'm, I'm stepping away from Mark 1 for a moment, where Jesus says, hey, this is, this is how I want you to act if someone sins against you. If someone sins against you, can you go and try to make things right? Can you go and say, hey, I'm sorry about what has happened and where things have gone, but can we try to make things right? Can we try to fix this? There's been hurt caused. Can we do that? And Jesus says, and if that doesn't work, well, get someone alongside with you. Someone who knows. Maybe they're going to mediate. Maybe they understand. Maybe an outside perspective helps out. But get someone else alongside and try to, try to work things out with that brother or sister who sinned against you and see if that works. And if that doesn't work, well, well, then you can get the elders of the church together because obviously that's not going to get healed and we've got to figure out a way to continue to move forward. And, and I find myself looking at that principle and going, yeah, and we kind of have to do things in order that way too, as hard as it is. It's easy for us to say, oh, I clashed with somebody. I've got to get some people on my side first. Right, then we're doing like the high school thing, right? You have a, you have a disagreement with someone, you get, all, you get your gang together to kind of like, hey, I'm right, right? They're terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they do the same thing, and now you have all your cliques. And like, it's just, this, it's just this terribly immature thing, but sometimes we do that too. Or we rush to the authorities. We rush to whoever it is, and, and next thing you know, you're getting the boss involved. And, and something that could have perhaps been worked out one-on-one becomes a power play where you're trying to tell somebody else, hey, you better put them in their place for me because I don't like how I felt. Jesus says, this is how we're going to do things. Then he says a word that I have heard again and again most often from worship leaders and, and people leading a group in prayer, which is very true in the context of worship and prayer, but is said in Matthew 18. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Wherever two or three are gathered, I'm there with them. And without a doubt, God's, God is with us in worship. And God is with us when we gather in prayer. God, God inhabits our prayers, the scriptures say. God is pleased to dwell in our worship, the scriptures say. But wherever two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. In Matthew 18, what Jesus is saying is, in the tough work of reconciliation, and the tough work of how do we navigate the trials of life in the midst of this world, God is with us in that wilderness. God is with us through that trial, just as He was with Jesus in the wilderness. And that 40-day period He is there in the wilderness is not just a way of saying, you know, if He's fasting that time, He's on the verge of collapse. It's a way of saying, and identifying with other 40-day periods of God's people figuring out how are we going to navigate God's plan for us in this world. That what Jesus is facing is precisely the kinds of things we face and we struggle with. 
And there is temptation in those situations, whether it's trying to make something right or whether it is uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, navigate life together. There is temptations to power. There's temptations to sin. There's temptations to lie for self-preservation. There's temptations like mentioned in the opening psalm to exhort, to take advantage of others. Yet in all those temptations of figuring out how do I navigate all the differences... There is the power of the Holy Spirit to support us, to help us realize I don't have to just act upon my own interests. I can truly say, God, what is your will for us in this situation? Where are you leading me here? God's Holy Spirit attends to us in those hard moments of life. The wilderness is in the history of the scriptures not only a place of temptation, it is a place of hope. The people of God, as they travel through the wilderness for 40 years, again, identifying, Jesus identifying with the lives of his people, as they're leading through, going through the wilderness for 40 years, they know all along we're going to a promised land. We are going somewhere else. God is leading us through this. It is more than just a, pl- a place of temptation. It is also a place of hope. It's a place of recognizing God has a plan and God will indeed lead us through this, that this will not be a permanent residence. And so we find ourselves every week praying in the Lord's Prayer the phrase, lead us not into temptation. And that is a phrase that comes right, after, right out of the temptation of Jesus, who in, in the Gospels, it said, is led into the desert to be tempted. And yet we pray, lead us not into temptation. And I can't help but think that maybe our prayers in those moments, we're saying, lead us not into temptation. And, and recognizing that often we find ourselves in moments of trial. We find ourselves in moments of temptation that we might come to see that those moments are not just a moment of do I succumb or do I not succumb? Uh, is this a trial I beat or a trial I don't beat? One I escape or not? But maybe a moment of asking, God might be leading me to something new despite this. That in moments of trial, there might also be hope. Where is God directing me in this moment? How is God directing me through this? So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, The key is that the leading is not directed towards the trials, but towards the hope that we have in the midst of those trials. It's toward the hope and the expectation of where God is going to bring us out of those trials, out of that wilderness. That the wilderness does not have to be a place of defeat, but a place of hope and a place of expectation. And the Gospel of Mark continues on and and recognizes right away that there is a wilderness in their own time as well. John is in prison. Like, just in case leaving the desert wasn't enough after those 40 days, and he thinks, okay, now I'm ready to get on with the ministry, he realizes, no, no, the world is still at work. And the guy who just baptized me, He's in prison. Whether that happens in that 40-day span or Mark is doing like a a time-lapse leap, we are in now the moment where we recognize things have gotten ugly. The world is still going on as it does. It has not embraced the call to repentance. It is not making straight paths for the Lord to come and do a new thing. It is rejecting that at every turn. And Jesus says, 
in the midst of that, he comes to Galilee. It's a town of people who are wondering, how do we go on with this? We were expecting a, a, a Savior. We were hoping for something new. We are waiting for God to move in a wonderful way, and the person sharing that news is in prison. And he starts to say to them, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. When he says repent, he is taking on the message of John. We are going indeed to make the path straight. God isn't done yet. That the Lord who looks at the world, who is doing what it can to silence his message, to silence his messenger, God has said, no, I still love this world. I'm still planning on coming and dwelling and making my home here. I still have an interest in the lives of each one here. And that's good news for us. It means that as much as we might have at any point in time in our life, at any point in time in our walk that we've said said to ourselves, man, I've messed up hard. I've messed up very barely. What happens next? The message is the kingdom of God is still pleased to come and dwell among you. And God desires to change, and to work in your life. And so he says, repent and believe. God has not given up on you. The word for repent here is, is a word metanoia. It's a word I have uh, 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 come to just kind of like recognize as, as a way of changing the way we think. The word noeo means to think, how we think. And meta, meta is a word that means Facebook company. Wait, no, 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 that, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. Well, the reason Facebook changed their name to Meta is they wanted to be the all-encompassing, all-embracing kind of social media platform for the world. So they changed their name to Meta. And so it's this way of saying that, what we are, that the mind is the, the whole all-encompassing way in which we think is going to change. To repent is say, there's a way in which I understand the world works. There's a way in which I understand I live my life. But if God is breaking into this world, if God is going to do something new, well, that creates a change And how it is that I'm supposed to now live out my life in this world. That I'm not going to live according to the world with its uh, taking advantage, with its uh, exploitation, with its uh, uh, me-first attitude. I am living in this world with... God has loved and cared for me and each person that I have ever encountered. And that puts a call upon my life. It changes the way that I think. And to believe in that is to trust. When he says believe, it isn't just know this. That's what noeo means. When he says believe, it's a different word. It's a word that means trust. Live as if it is true. I want you to repent and to believe, to live your life in full expectation that God has said, you matter, and I want to be with you. And so Jesus, coming through with this message, finds some disciples. And he says to them, hey, would you follow me? I got some great news. God is coming. And, and, and he calls these men who are fishers. They're not called because of any heroic acts on their their behalf, not because of anything great they've done. They're no Billy Graham or anyone else. They they they, They are chosen just because they're willing to be faithful to Jesus, to subordinate their lives to Him, to bear witness in the ways and means that God has gifted them. And so they're called to be His disciples. When it says He calls people who are fishers, that is one of the 
common ways in which they can make their living in that time. And, as, and, and I can't help but think this is a, when he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He is saying, you are going to be followers in, the, in your everyday life. I'm going to use exactly the skills and talents you have developed. And God is going to use you exactly for who you are. Uh, next week, I am going to be uh, uh, spending some time um, uh, on the board of ministry with the district here in Maine. And we are going to be talking to an interviewing candidate who said, hey, I felt a call to ministry. I feel like God is, is calling me to pastoral or evangelistic ministry to, to, to help share the gospel in a full-time manner with this world. And we're going to navigate and help them understand that calling and help discern whether or not they have the gifts and graces for that. And that's just part of the work that the Board of Ministry does in, in the district. And so I'll be doing that next week, Saturday. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about calling and what it means for them that God has called them into ministry. But when I, I want to say today, when I look at this passage of Scripture and Jesus is calling fishers to become fishers of men, what I am finding is that God's calling is right in the middle of the very work that His disciples are doing. And that maybe we are also to find for us that God is working in the lives of the people that we encounter and that our calling is precisely where we are in life to respond to the claims that those people have upon our life. Let's talk a little bit about calling. To call someone is to beckon someone towards something. To beckon someone towards something or someone. Like if I say, hey, will someone come up here and read scripture? Or will someone come up here and uh, help me with the announcements or something? I, I, I call, I beckon forth, and someone responds. Yes, I, I'll do that. Or most commonly, if you call out to someone, they'll turn and say, what, what are you talking about? They'll, they'll answer, they'll respond. But most often, it'll be on the phone, right? We'll call someone. And they're invited to answer. And then if there's a need, whether it's for information or, whether, or for service or, or someone just need a listening ear, when someone calls us, we're invited to respond and to do so graciously. And every call places an expectation upon us in that moment. When I was growing up, uh, it seemed like that expectation weighed heavy on my mom. Whenever the phone rang, she ran for the phone. <laughs> it was one of those, the phone could be, be ringing in the other room because all of her phones were on walls back then. And, and she would run, beeline for it. We, we'd be like, what's going on? We'd be excited. So we'd run in the room too, only find out she'd already picked up the phone. We'd get clotheslined on the line. And so like, like, it was just one of those, like, like it was just, oh, oh phones got, got, got a raise, right? There was an expectation and excitement. Every call places upon us. To speak of a calling is not so different. There is an invitation to answer, to respond. And that invitation comes with an urgency and an expectation that we yearn to fulfill. And that, that urgency, that expectation that God places within us comes from outside of us, comes from God saying, I have a plan, I have a purpose for you. And so that word calling has come to refer to any chosen vocation. This is what I'm meant to be doing. This is who I am. Whatever it is that we find to be of the utmost importance. And when we recognize that role, that place in our life, that yeah, this is what I'm about, 
What we do is is we refine our skills. We hone our talents. We become as good as we can to answer that kind of like, yes, this is what I am about. And so we find... As, uh, as we live into that call, as we live into that which is of utmost importance to us, we find that we are often engaged with people in various facets of that vocation, whether they are people who work alongside of us or people who uh, we meet along the way. And those lives interact with us. And I want to say today, I think each of those interactions places a call upon us as well. They beckon us to respond. They beckon us to live alongside, to work alongside them, to care about each other, to serve one another. And we find that each one has brought purpose to what we do. Each one we encounter in some way uh, helps illuminate why we do and how interconnected we are with what we do. And as we remember this, we find that each one has indeed placed a call upon our life for which we respond. And so when I hear the calling of the disciples out of, from being fishers to fishers of men, I can't help but think this is not a unique call just for people who are called into ministry like the people I'm going to be seeing next Saturday. It is a calling for all those who follow Jesus in the vocations that they find themselves to say, all the lives that I encounter along the way are those whom God has placed for me to be responsible to, to share indeed the good news of God's love and God's life. Now, I I recognize that we don't always have the opportunity to get super deep. Sometimes those interactions are as brief as, How are you today? Okay, have a good day. I mean, brief interactions. But in those moments, to remember, that person matters to God. That person is important and loved by God. And it hopefully changes and affects the way in which we interact. And then those that are much more involved become ways in which we say, I know God cares about you, so I will as well. And let me share with you what God's done in my life. And let me share with you the hope that God has. You know what? We don't have to worry about where we've messed up or where we've fallen short. God has said, I'm still coming. I have a plan and a desire to be in your life and to help each of us open up to the work that God is doing. Indeed, to make a way for God to dwell and reign in our lives and our hearts and everything that we are about. The world, of course, is more than just the everyday. The working, the getting up, the doing it again. It is the call that the Lord is coming. That the Lord is interested in who we are before we have done anything to deserve it. That God has loved us and has a plan and a future for us. And it is part of the beginning of the wonderful story of Jesus. And this opening in Mark tells us, as we are getting ready to see exactly what God's going to do, and we're going to see exactly how God starts to reveal the difference this can make in the lives of those whom Jesus and his disciples meet. It is an invitation to us all to look to see, okay, God, here I am today, What are you going to do and how are you going to use me? Whether we are are in a moment of wilderness wandering 
or we find ourselves in a moment where everything is going just as we anticipated, we are going to be faithful and be amazed at what God is going to do with the lives that turn themselves over and follow after Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the call to follow you is not an exclusive call. It is a call that reaches each and every one of us in the very work you have called us to do. And so whether that is schoolwork, whether that is employment work, whether that is retired work, Heavenly Father, you have indeed said where you are in life, you are witnesses and bearers of the good news. And I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the faith you have in each of us and the power and grace you give to us by your Holy Spirit who comes alongside and helps us each time, even when we don't know what we're doing or what we're saying, when we feel like we've just been thrown into it, yet you are with us. And I give you praise for your constant fidelity. Help us, Heavenly Father, to follow you as Jesus has done and to trust that your Holy Spirit helps us to accomplish that task. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. 